Despite a Sunday loss ending a five-game winning streak for the Orioles, they got another series win over the weekend, taking two of three from the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'll recap it all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, August 8th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to recap the three-game series over the weekend in which the O's took two out of three from the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm going to get you my three big takeaways from the weekend, having to do with Dean Kramer's big start, the role shifting in the Orioles' bullpen, and the struggles from the offense despite the series win, and what that could mean for the O's as they move forward in this wild card chase. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Vroom. With Vroom, you can buy a car entirely online and have it delivered straight to you, so you never have to go to a dealership again. So next time you need to buy a car, just grab your phone, Go to Vroom.com and check out thousands of great cars. And of course, just want to thank you, the listener, before we get started for making Locked on Orioles your third podcast listen of the day. Locked on Orioles free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And whether you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen, if you could give a five-star rating and a review on those apps, it really helps out the pod. And of course, we thank you if you're watching right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. Make sure to hit that red subscribe button, like, comment on the videos as well. And you are going to want to make sure you are subscribed to the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel because even if you are just an audio listener, I fully support that. We thank you so much. But you may want to just hop over and hit that red subscribe button because later this week on the podcast, we're going to have a giveaway coming up on the pod and you have to be a YouTube subscriber to get involved. So make sure to hit that red subscribe button here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel. And again, we thank you, the listener, for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, Orioles and Pirates, as the O's take two out of three over the weekend and continue to get closer and closer to a playoff spot in the American League wildcard chase. And I'm going to get you the three big takeaways from the weekend from me for the Orioles' three games against Pittsburgh. And let's start with my first big takeaway, as the Orioles took two out of three from the Pirates. Now, the two out of three on the weekend... Got the Orioles to 56-52 and 52 on the season. They are now two games back as we sit from a wild card spot. Now, they actually entered the weekend a game and a half back, so they lost a little bit of ground. Things were a little messed up. You know, some of the teams ahead of them played double headers, blah, blah, blah. And they weren't exactly playing great teams because Seattle, they took two out of four from the Angels. The Rays took two out of three as well in their series from the Tigers. So the Orioles sit two games back of both the Angels, or excuse me, of both the Mariners and the Rays, who are tied for the second and third spots right now in the wild card. Orioles tied with the Guardians right now. Both of those teams are two games back. For the Orioles over the weekend, of course, started with a one nothing victory on Saturday with Dean Kramer throwing a great start that we'll talk about. Then on Saturday, it was a 6-3 to win for the Birds. They got off to a hot start in that game and never looked back. And then on Sunday, just kind of a rough one, a throwaway game, an 8-1 to loss to the Pirates 
weren't able to get the sweep, which ended their five-game winning streak. But I'll start with my first big takeaway from the weekend, is that Dean Kramer was certainly the star of this weekend for the Orioles. Despite only appearing in one game, his start on Friday night, he got a huge start, not just for him to bounce back, but for the confidence in the Orioles' starting rotation moving forward. Now, Dean's start on Friday was a great one. I was in the ballpark Friday night getting my Cedric Mullins bobblehead, awaiting the almost two-hour rain delay, and still, you know, waited it out and stayed for the entire game. And Dean Kramer had one of his best starts of the season. Kramer goes six and a third inning scoreless on the day, allowing just four hits. He struck out only two, but he did not walk anyone. And it only took him 83 pitches to get through those six and a third innings, only six hard hit balls against him. And I got to be honest, really the only reason Kramer came out with one out in the sixth after giving up a double to Key Brian Hayes is that, frankly, it was a one nothing game. The Orioles had gotten their run in the bottom of the sixth on a Ramona Rios RBI single, finally broke through to go up one nothing. Kramer comes back out in the seventh, gets the first out, then Hayes doubles, and they pull him to go to the bullpen, which was well-rested after the off day on Thursday, and a bullpen that has been a top-five bullpen in baseball all year to hold a one-run lead. If the O's are up 4-5-6-0 at that point, Dean Kramer at 83 pitches probably stays in that game, probably finishes at least seven innings, and maybe could have pitched into the eighth, which would have been his longest start of the year, but still did exactly what the Orioles needed him to do. Now, it wasn't his best start of the year. You know, if you remember back on June 28th, he went seven scoreless with five Ks against Seattle. Uh, also had another six and a third scoreless start back in June as well. But it's been a little bit of a struggle for Dean Kramer lately, and that's why this start was so, so important. Kramer, over his previous three starts coming into Friday night, was potentially in danger of maybe losing a rotation spot moving forward. In his previous three starts, he had thrown just 13 and two-thirds innings. Only in one of those three starts had he lasted five innings. And in 13 and two-thirds, he had allowed 13 earned runs on 23 hits, including allowing 10 hits in his previous start. Now, he had struck out 11 and only walked two, but he allowed four home runs and had an 8.56 ERA in his previous three starts. So he needed those six and a third scoreless that he gave the Orioles on Friday. And frankly, with the Orioles' offense just not able to come through in that game with runners in scoring position, I mean, they they had 10 hits, but they only got one run. They needed Kramer to pitch the way that he did in this game. And, and I really think that start just kind of solidified Kramer's spot in the rotation. A great month of June after you know finally coming back from that injury he suffered in the opening weekend before even pitching in a game. And then, you know, he hit a bit of a bump, but really settled back in, and I get it. You know, he's facing a bad team and a, a not-so-great Pittsburgh Pirates lineup on Friday night, but they still got some guys who could beat you, as they showed in Sunday's game, and Kramer was still spot on. And, and what was really interesting is he still, you know, was throwing the pitches we've seen him throw most this season. You know, he was heavy on the four-seamer and the cutter. It was 40% four-seamer, 31% cutter. Now, he only had seven whiffs on 50 swings, and you can see, you know, the two strikeouts in six and a third in that number. He wasn't missing a lot of bats. He wasn't super dominant, but he still put up a zero, and you'll take a zero anytime. Three whiffs on the cutter was the best of any pitch on the night, but his best pitch, which he only threw 14 times, was his curveball. Now, it was his third most used pitch, and he had threw the changeup nine times, and they had one slider in there as well, which, you know, he's thrown at times. It may have just been a slower cutter, but it did get tagged as one slider. But in general, for Dean Kramer, 
you know, that curveball was the pitch that everybody was kind of impressed by when he first came up. Back in the shortened 2020 season, he had those two good starts against the Yankees in his Major League debut. He could drop in the curveball for a strike at any time and also could drop it below the zone to get a swing and miss and a strikeout. But he really hadn't had the feel for that curveball so far this year and some of last year and had really gone away from it, especially during his, his you know, huge struggles during 2021. But he threw the most curveballs he has in any start on Friday night with those 14 curveballs, got five swings, got two whiffs, got four called strikes, couple of foul balls. You know, it was that big, slow curveball, you know, sat 75 to 77 miles per hour on the night. And that pitch kind of became the great equalizer for Kramer on Friday night. And if he can get back the feel on that pitch, you know, the changeup he can go to from time to time. But if he feels good about four-seamer cutter curveball, we can see more of what we saw in June and I really do like that curveball moving forward from Kramer. And I think it was, you know, definitely a huge, huge positive to see Dean Kramer go six and a third scoreless on Friday night. And, you know, I won't say the other two Orioles starters were bad by any stretch. I think Austin Voth certainly gave the Orioles a chance to win on Saturday. He went five plus innings, allowed three runs on six hits with five Ks, a walk, and a home run. Gave up a two-run homer to O'Neill Cruz in the fourth. Came back out in the sixth, gave up a, a single and a double that made it a 5-3 game and then was taken out in favor of the bullpen. And then he had Spencer Watkins, who had a really odd start on Sunday. He was through four and a third perfect. He had retired you know, the first 13 batters he had faced, got the first out of the fifth inning. Orioles were leading one nothing after the Jorge Mateo solo homer in the third. And then Watkins just kind of got dinked and dunked to death. He ended up leaving after five and a third, four runs, four hits, five Ks and a walk, but only two hard hit balls against him. 77 pitches for Watkins. Just a lot of like slow roller, like kind of bloop base hits that he gave up in that fifth inning where Pittsburgh actually got three runs in the fifth to take that lead that they would not give up on Sunday. So, you know, even with Watkins line not looking great, I was still impressed by what I saw from Spencer Watkins. And I'll certainly take what I saw from Austin Voth, you know, before the two hits in the sixth and getting pulled. It was basically a five innings, two runs, four hits, five Ks and a walk start, which you're going to take every single time from Voth. So I'll certainly take what the Orioles rotation as a whole gave them this weekend, but especially what Dean Kramer did on Friday. But it wasn't just the starting pitchers who did their job to get this series win for the Orioles. It was also the Oriole bullpen who continues to be one of the best units in baseball. But specifically this weekend, we really saw for the first time these roles start to get shuffled. Because as we know, the Orioles traded their closer Jorge Lopez to the Minnesota Twins back on Tuesday. And because of that, everybody's role in the bullpen had to shift a little bit. And we really saw that for the first time in the two wins this weekend. So coming up next, I'll break down how a lot of these guys did in their new roles against the Pirates. But first, got to tell you about LinkedIn Talent Solutions because many of you know about LinkedIn as the place to search for a job, but LinkedIn also, of course, the place to post a job. And as you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster, and for free. You can create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. And they've got simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to hire and of course, even before that, who you'd like to interview to get that job. And LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you wanna to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free 
at linkedin.com slash locked on MLB. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So we're talking Orioles and Pirates as the O's take two out of three from Pittsburgh over the weekend. They do lose the Sunday game, which snapped their five-game losing streak. But heading into Monday, 56 and 52, two games out of a wild card spot in the American League. And we already talked about Dean Kramer's great performance for my first of three big takeaways from the weekend. But my second big takeaway is that, you know, the bullpen did its job this weekend. Maybe wasn't the greatest bullpen weekend, but they certainly got it done. But what was even more interesting is that we really saw the Orioles' bullpen roles shifting for the first time. As we know, the Orioles traded Jorge Lopez to the Twins on Tuesday at the trade deadline for four pitching prospects, broke down that deal in its entirety. Actually, on Friday's episode, we learned a lot more about all four of those pitching prospects from Minnesota, so make sure to go back and check that one out, either on YouTube or Spotify, Apple Pods, wherever you get your podcasts. But because of that, you know, the Orioles didn't really add any major leaguers in terms of the bullpen, so guys got shifted into new spots. They recalled Nick Vespi to take Lopez's spot on the roster in terms of a reliever, but everybody got moved up. And the first big move, obviously, was Felix Bautista goes from the Orioles setup man to the Orioles closer. And we knew that on Wednesday, the first day after the deadline, because it looked like the Orioles were going to have a save situation in Game 3 in Texas. They led 4-2 heading into the ninth, but the Orioles got two runs in the top of the ninth in that game, made it 6-2. Bautista still did pitch the bottom of the ninth, gave up a solo homer, but did secure a 6-3 win for the Orioles in that one. But he was warming, you know, and he was going to pitch if it was 4-2 to try and get a save. And the Orioles were, of course, in a save situation on Friday. The Ramon Arias RBI single in the sixth was all they got, and they entered the ninth inning with a 1-0 lead, and out came Felix Bautista looking for his fourth save of the season. And now, I will say, it was a little shaky, for Felix in that inning. After getting a leadoff ground out, he allowed a single and then walked Key Brian Hayes. And there were runners on first and second with one out. And O'Neill Cruz, who hits the ball very hard, was coming up to the plate. But Bautista just locked things down after that and was able to get back-to-back punch outs to end the game, keep the runners stranded on first and second, and get a one nothing Orioles win. And it was pretty impressive for Bautista, despite the hit and the strike and the walk, obviously the two strikeouts. Took him 25 pitches, but, you know, he threw 17 fastballs of those 25 pitches. 17 fastballs and eight splitters. All 17 of Bautista's fastballs registered 100 miles per hour or better on the radar gun. Now, some of those pitches were up to 102, but his minimum velocity on the night was exactly 100.0 on the dot, and he maxed out at exactly 102 on the dot. The only other pitcher this year to throw at least 17 fastballs in a game and have them all be over 100 miles per hour is Jordan Hicks, the right-hander for the Cardinals, who famously basically never throws a fastball below 100 and routinely can get it up to 103 from the right side. Bautista throwing the ball hard. He's dropping in the splitter. He got four whiffs. And again, it was a little shaky, letting the two base runners on. It was a long battle with Hayes before he walked him on a 3-2 pitch that missed up high, but he did get the job done. Now, for Felix, he gets his fourth save. He seems to be clearly in that closer role, but I will say it was a save situation on Saturday the next day, and the Orioles did not go to Bautista. Now, I'm sure some of that had to do with the fact that he had pitched Wednesday, and while he did 
get the day off on Thursday. He threw 25 pitches and 25 high leverage pitches on Friday night. And maybe Brandon Hyde was just sticking to Felix is not available on Saturday. And that certainly could be the case. Now, what the Orioles did instead was, of course, we saw the first time where CNL Perez was officially moved up to kind of the fully set up man role. Now, Perez has certainly pitched, you know, in the seventh and many times in the eighth inning already this year, but we saw Perez get an even bigger role in that Friday night game. So after Dean Kramer gave up the one out double in the seventh with the Orioles leading one nothing, Brandon Hyde goes to the bullpen and immediately goes to CNL Perez with some lefties coming up. And Perez just kind of rolls through the Pirates lineup. He gets five outs for the Orioles. He got it all the way from Kramer in the seventh to Bautista in the ninth. Perez goes one and two thirds, scoreless, allowing just one hit with two Ks and no walks and took him just 20 pitches, didn't allow a hard hit ball. And it was interesting, his split on pitches. It was an even split, 10 sliders and 10 fastballs from CNL Perez. The stuff definitely looked great for Perez on Friday night. And it's interesting to see because, you know, he was facing a part of the lineup where it was a lot of lefties or switch hitters, so it wasn't like he was you know, facing righty after righty, so it was a good spot for Perez to get all those outs. But Brandon Hyde continued to leave him in there, even when you know he allowed a, a base runner in the eighth inning as well, and it was getting back to the top of the order. Perez stayed in that game and got the outs that he needed and looked very comfortable in that spot, and he has been a huge revelation, obviously, for the Orioles' bullpen all season. But it was big to see him fall into that you know, bridge roll. He goes from one out in the seventh, gets you five outs. It is huge to know that CNL Perez can do that at the end of a game. And that's really going to help the Orioles moving forward. But I would say kind of the other big moves were, you know, we saw Joey Crable and Nick Vespi get some higher leverage spots than they're used to in the series this weekend. Now, both of them have pitched in some high leverage spots so far this year, but it's not their usual spot. They're more fifth, sixth, seventh inning guys. But, you know, we saw Joey Crable get a one, two, three, seventh in Saturday's game with the Orioles leading 5-3. to three. And then the really interesting role was Nick Vespi because not only was Felix Bautista probably not available, you had to think that CNL Perez was maybe available, but probably not for long. I mean, he did only throw 20 pitches, but to face five batters the night before, you weren't going to go to him as your first option on Saturday. So your top lefty out of the pen became Nick Vespi in Saturday's game. And as we saw this weekend... The Pirates have a good amount of lefties and switch hitters that you want to turn around to the right side in their lineup. So it's important to have good lefties in your bullpen when you face the Pirates. And that's what the Orioles had in Vespi, in Perez, and in Keegan Aiken, who we saw a couple of times this weekend as well in kind of, you know, shorter one-inning stints. But for Nick Vespi, he came in to a big spot. You know, Joey Crable, after getting a 1-2-3-7, actually stayed in in the eighth inning with the Orioles leading six to three and ended up hitting the first batter of the eighth and then was pulled from the game. And in comes Nick Vespi and Vespi walks the first batter he faces. All of a sudden it's first and second, nobody out. Vespi gets some help from his defense. Jorge Mateo and Rugnet Odor turn a beautiful diving double play. And then Vespi gets a big strikeout to end the eighth. But I thought what was the most interesting thing is that, you know, Dylan Tate had not pitched Friday. He, you know, obviously didn't pitch Thursday in the day off. So he had two days off. Tate was ready to go. And if Bautista is down, Dylan Tate had been the third closing option this year. So you're pretty used to seeing Dylan Tate be the second closing option now. And we figure that Dylan Tate would get the ninth with a 6-3 lead, try and lock down the save, and get the Oriole win. But what was interesting is that a left-handed batter was leading off the ninth inning. And Brandon Hyde stuck with Nick Vespi 
to start the ninth. And Vespi ended up getting a fly out to center to get that first out, and then Hyde immediately came out and pulled him. But what was so interesting about that is Vespi finished with an inning and a third scoreless, no runs, no hits, a walk, and a strikeout, is that we haven't really seen Nick Vespi pitch in the ninth inning until that. And it showed that Brandon Hyde, without Jorge Lopez, is probably going to go to Felix Bautista as the primary closer down the stretch. But in games where Bautista may not be available, like Saturday, he won't be afraid to mix and match even into the ninth inning. You know, he won't necessarily just give it to Tate or give it to Perez. He might say, oh, there's a lefty to start. I have Nick Vespi in already. Let me see him get one batter and then go to a guy like Dylan Tate, who got the next two outs and ended the game with a strikeout to secure the victory. But it was cool to see that, you know, Brandon Hyde was very open to managing the bullpen like that as well. And, you know, use your weapons to the best of your ability. That's what Hyde did in those first two games and helped the Orioles to those first two wins. But, of course, the O's did suffer a loss on Sunday. Couldn't complete the sweep. Couldn't keep the winning streak going. As they lost the Sunday game 8-1. to And their offense just was nowhere to be found in Sunday's game. And really, the pitching did kind of cover up an offense that had some struggles all weekend. So coming up next, we're going to break down what those struggles really looked like and what they could mean for the Orioles moving forward in this playoff chase. But first, got to tell you about betonline.net, the number one place to go to for all your sports betting needs. You can find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, but of course, NFL season's coming up, college football, right after that, the NBA and the NHL, and then every weekend, you got combat sports, esports, and even golf tournaments every weekend as well. And BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering info. From live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, they have you covered. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today at BetOnline, where the game starts. So we're talking Orioles and Pirates as the O's take two out of three from Pittsburgh over the weekend. But, of course, the O's did lose one game. It was the Sunday game, an 8-1 to loss, in which the Orioles offense just did nothing. Jorge Mateo hit a solo homer in the third inning, his 11th. That was the only run. The O's had one run on four hits, one walk, seven strikeouts versus a starter in Bryce Wilson, who hasn't exactly been great for the Pirates this year and a pretty bad bullpen. The Orioles just did absolutely nothing. And, yeah... It hurts that they gave up eight runs. They usually don't do that. But when you're only scoring one, you're generally not going to win however many you give up. Now, the exception obviously came Friday when the Orioles won one to nothing, which was actually their fourth one to nothing win of the season, their most since their World Series winning season in 1983. But, you know, the Oriole pitching, which we didn't see coming, has as a whole been better than the Oriole hitting all year. And we thought, well, if the Orioles are going to make a crazy run this season, it would have to be that lineup getting hot. It's really been the other way. The lineup has kind of dragged behind. And it's gotten better, obviously, since Adley Rutschman's been called up because he's been the best catcher in baseball since he's gotten called up. But the offense is definitely starting to worry me just a little. Because over the weekend in the three games, and yes, the Orioles get two wins. That's what you're looking for. Win a series. They only get eight runs in three games. And two of those games were one run scored. They were lucky to get a series win when you twice score only one run. Now, they had 25 hits, which, not a bad number for a weekend. That's averaging over eight hits per game. You'll take that. But to only get eight runs when you include 10 walks in that stretch to 19 strikeouts, you're looking at some struggles. And the number that shows the struggles is the same number that showed the Orioles' struggles throughout April. 
Bills just had a bad start to this season in April. They kicked it on in May, had a great June, a great July, and now they're in the playoff race. But April, the Orioles were bad. And the number one reason the Orioles were bad in April, as we've talked about multiple times on this podcast, is that the O's could not buy a hit with runners in scoring position. And lately, it's not just this weekend, but this weekend especially. It happened specifically last weekend in Cincinnati as well. The O's are getting runners on, whether it be hits, whether it be walks, and they just can't bring anybody home. The Orioles go a combined 5-for-29 with runners in scoring position this weekend. That is well under a 200 average with runners in scoring position. That is not where you want to be. you got to be converting on those chances. And it was really the most evident in Friday's game, despite it being a win at one nothing. The Orioles had one run on 10 hits in Friday's game. They left 11 guys on base on Friday night. And yes, again, they got out with the victory. Shout out to Kramer and Perez and Bautista for combining for the shutout. But that could have gone badly. The Orioles easily could have lost this series to the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates. They couldn't bring anybody home. They got second and third with one out in the first inning. And, you know, Mountcastle lines into a double play. Bad base running from Cedric Mullins. You know, they had the leadoff man on in each of the first four innings of Friday's game and did not score. Heck, the only run they did score was kind of a lucky Baltimore chop that scooted through the infield off the bat of Arias in the sixth that put the O's up one nothing. They were littered with base runners all day, and nothing was more frustrating than the eighth inning. The Orioles load the bases with one out. Jorge Mateo on the first pitch. It's a ground ball to third. They get the out at home. Of course, never we're going to throw Mateo out at first. So now it's two outs with the bases loaded. Brett Phillips gets ahead 2-0. Derek Shelton, after the 1-0 pitch, is called a ball on a check swing. Gets thrown out of the game, argues for two minutes. This whole stretch goes down. You're thinking it's 2-0. Brett Phillips has a 140 average. The bases are loaded. You're trying to add on a run. Just don't swing. And what does Phillips do on the 2-0 pitch after the long delay? Swings at a 2-0 fastball, pops it up to end the inning and keep it 1-0. And that was the O's whole weekend. They were 2-for-15 with runners in scoring position Friday. Even Saturday, when they got some clutch hits, they scored six runs to win that game. They started off hot in that game, got three runs in the first two innings to kind of jump on top of that Pittsburgh team. They were still 3-for-13 with runners in scoring position on Saturday. And then you could argue Sunday was even more concerning because Sunday, they didn't even get anybody on base. The Orioles were 0 for 1 with runners in scoring position on Sunday. That's right. They got four hits. They got one run. They got one walk. They had one chance with a runner at second or third. They didn't get a runner to third base except for Mateo when he rounded third on his home run all day. That chance they had with a runner on scoring position was first and second with two outs, and they got out. That's concerning as well, but... 2 for 15 and 3 for 13, also concerning because you're getting guys on base. Nobody really had a, a bad weekend. Everybody who played got at least one hit. A lot of guys got multiple hits throughout the weekend. You know, Adley looked good getting on base. Taron Vavra obviously had a, a great Friday night. Even guys like Rugnet Odor and Brett Phillips got hits who haven't really been hitting at all. And nobody could bring anybody home. It was frustrating to watch that all weekend. And it could be an issue moving forward for the Orioles. We saw how much of an issue it was in April. They're pitching better now, so it's less of an issue. But if you're getting that many guys on base, you need to bring them home. And, of course, it brings up another conversation. Well, should there be different pieces in the lineup? And, obviously, the O's will you know, get better when Austin Hayes returns to the lineup. He was out all weekend with this kind of side oblique injury that's been nagging him. Hasn't been bad enough to go on the IL. He did run, throw, and hit 
before the game Sunday said he felt good. So there is certainly a chance that Hayes is back in the Orioles lineup tonight against the Blue Jays. And when they he gets back in there, you take Brett Phillips out, your lineup automatically gets better again. But you're looking down in AAA, and you're looking at Kyle Stowers mashing the ball, and you're looking at Gunnar Henderson putting up these crazy numbers at his age, and you're even looking at a guy like Jordan Westberg who's swinging it well. And you start to think, you know, with Phillips, why is he here? And McKenna struggles all year, and Odor not hitting, and Tyler Nevin really not playing, and even when he is, he's not hitting. There are better options in AAA for the Orioles right now, and they're not being called up. So the question kind of is, if the offensive struggles, especially with runners in scoring position, continue, do they make a move for a Stowers or a Henderson to come to the bigs? That is the hope here soon. But we'll talk about that in a little more detail coming up later this week on the podcast. But the Orioles, they still won the series despite offensive struggles. Good starting pitching from Dean Kramer. Bullpen did the job. Got some big hits. They take two out of three from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Next up for the Orioles, well, this is when it gets real. The Orioles are 56-52. and 52. They've got 54 games remaining on their schedule. Only nine of those 54 games are against teams that are basically out of the playoff race. 45 of the Orioles' remaining 54 games are against teams within certain striking distance of a playoff spot right now. The Orioles have the toughest strength of schedule of any team in Major League Baseball over these final two months. So we're really going to see if the Orioles can stand up with these other wildcard teams. And it starts tonight as the Toronto Blue Jays come into Baltimore to start a three-game series. The O's still have 15 more games to play against the Blue Jays this year. They've only played one series against the Jays all year, and it's August 7th. They're just starting their second series. So 15 games against a team you're chasing, well, you can start to make up some ground tonight. Game one between the Orioles and the Blue Jays. Jordan Lyles goes for the O's, and Yusei Kikuchi goes on the mound, the lefty for the Blue Jays. And then, of course, I'll be back with you here on the podcast tomorrow for a Tuesday episode, recapping game one between Baltimore and Toronto, getting you the five things you need to know from that game. And then we're going to take a little bit of a closer look at how the Orioles do stack up against these other wildcard teams, not just the Blue Jays who they're playing, but the Rays and the Mariners who they're chasing and the Guardians who are right there and the teams just barely behind them, like the White Sox and the Red Sox. We're going to take a look at, statistically, throughout the season, how the O's stack up and how this race could finish for the Birds through August and September. But that's all coming up on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.